Every time I hear the song and, and blessed to sing that song, it is well with my soul. I, I'm reminded of the guy that wrote that, Horatio Spafford, and what he wrote it about and why and when he wrote it. After his loved ones had died on the shipwreck, his children, he was taking the same course to join his wife across the sea. And he asked the captain to stop at the place that he lost his family. And when he stopped and the captain pointed out what happened and where it happened, the Lord blessed him to write that powerful hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. That would be about like Corbett DeLotes going to the place on the highway that his teenage daughter died. Or the place by the tree that fell on his son that died. And saying, it's okay, God. I love you. It is well with my soul. It would be about like you bringing that glorious closure to the loss of a loved one. I think so many times our hearts uh, don't realize how many obstacles they are between us and God. Sometimes we don't like to admit it. But I challenge you by God's grace to do that soon if you haven't already. Memorial Day is coming up and we can visit the cemeteries and stand over our loved ones burial places and say as well with my soul. Or maybe it's that divorce, as horrid as divorce is, you got to come out of it. Can you say it's all right, God? It has a lot to do with our trusting. It's not easy. Or that wayward child that we wonder why in the world this happened to me. I bet Horatio Spafford had those thoughts, don't you? But he said, it's well with my soul. I trust that it is. I know that it can be. I know that it ought to be. That's the kind of God we have. May the Lord bless us to nurture that sweet fellowship with, with him in the midst of our trials and troubles and heartbreaks. Would you please turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Nahum. We don't go there much. I'm not sure I've ever been there for a sermon. I don't know. Maybe you take some notes and can remind me. I don't keep my sermon notes for some reason, maybe because I still have so many imperfections. I don't know. But here's some verses that the Lord, I feel like, has put on my heart that I want to share with you as we embrace a theme that I pray that God is also prompting us to think about. And you see, I want to get you as a pastor to look up because I'm going to look up with you. And so I'm going to look at nature. I'm going to look at the clouds. And I think it's very fitting that we're living in this time where we need to look at the clouds. And not only clouds that is in the natural sky that tell us about God and His greatness, but also the clouds in our own life. 
You remember I told you the story. I know I've shared it with you many times. I always seem to come back to that when I'm dealing with a subject like this about my grandmama. Many years ago, and, and here's the point of this. So many of you are bringing your children to church. So many of you are setting an example, a precedence of communicating to them who God is. Now that is the most important thing that you could ever do. I don't care what kind of education you have or what kind of job you hold. Your idea of who God is and what he's about is the most important thing about you. And when you can come to people when they're hurting and afraid and tell them that God is doing his work, then I'm going to tell you, you want to tell them that can be the most important advice and comfort you can bring them, even though they might not understand it then. Well, that happened to me as a little boy, I don't know, six or eight. I still remember, though, playing outside in my grandmama's yard and with my cousins, and I remember her coming on the porch and hearing the screen door slam. And I remember her interrupted voice, and she said something like, Youngins, come in the house. There's a cloud coming up. And I didn't want to go, but I had to do it because she said do it. It didn't look so bad to me. I mean, it wasn't raining and thundering and lightning yet, but it was coming. She knew it and I didn't, but she wanted us to be in a safe place. And so does God. And so I remember going in her house and she went into that middle of that house, that old house, and we sat down there in the room in the middle of the house and she turned off the TV and all the lights. I mean, you would think we're about to watch a scary movie or something. I don't know. But, I mean, and she said, do not talk. God is doing his work. And about that time I heard the thunder crack. Or saw it in the lightning crack. Heard it roar, roam, whatever it does, rumble. And I remember as a little boy sitting there and that rain pouring down and a lightning crashing. And, and you know, I think about that today. It's often that, that woman gave me the idea, my first little idea of God is much, much greater than I am. And the best thing that we can do when God is at work is to just be quiet and to acknowledge him. And think of him, and that's what I want to ask you to do today, that God would help us do that by his grace, because a cloud is coming up. And right here in Naaman, a cloud is coming up. About a hundred years ago, the, the prophet Jonah come to this same place in Nineveh. And you remember God, by his gracious mercy, gave, gave repentance to the Ninevites, but it didn't stay. And so they go back now, they're worse than they've ever been before. The scriptures cause that. It's like a dog that returns to his vomit. You know, that's what a dog will do. That's what people do too. But what God is doing now, he's not sending a prophet. He's sending a prophecy of their doom. He is not saying, now, if you do this, I'll do this. No, he is saying, this is going to happen to you. You see, God is very, very serious. God is jealous, though. And that's not the kind of jealousy that we see as sinful. It's a perfect jealousy because God is not only jealous, He is just. 
but it's good. It's good. So may the Lord bless. I want to read the first seven verses of this first chapter of Nahum. Would you please stand with me as I do that? Please ask God to help us understand his word. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite. God is jealous. And the Lord revenges. The Lord revenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Basham languishes and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languishes. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Verse 6 says, Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Thank you very much. Would you please be seated? You know, I think about these verses, and I mean, I mean, Nahum is telling these guys who God is, what God's like, because they don't know. Obviously, they don't know. If we really knew how, how righteous and holy and powerful God is, it would change a lot about how we deal with our life and do business with God and life as well. But it seems to be more than one side to God, don't you think, according to this? I mean, God is, is so powerful, but, but he's a vengeful God. Now, we don't like that word vengeful. We think there's something wrong with it. I mean, everybody now, you know, is a, a, a victim, But God is vengeful. And vengeance is the Lord's, not ours. The reason that is so is because God is so powerful that, that he controls his anger. I'm not very well at, good at controlling mine. You're probably not either. God is. But also, the other side of God is that he is so good and gracious and merciful and loving forgiving. So it makes a difference which side of God we're on, doesn't it? One thing about it is God's on our side. He proved that on the cross. So when you think about the clouds, now here's my point, my, my message today, I'm going to try to do a few sermons on what I'm going to deal with the theme of it's coming up a cloud. And we want to go look at some of the warnings God gives us. We want to look at some of the ways of God in sustaining us. Because God speaks so much in clouds in his word. I mean, when he gives his law on Mount Sinai, he does it from a cloud. Before he feeds Israel the manna in the wilderness, there was a cloud. God directs his people with a cloud through the wilderness all the way to the Red Sea. And he opened it with a cloud. I imagine you're going to see, if you really got God in your heart today and see that, and God would bless you that, it's going to be because of the clouds in your life that you see the blessings that you have. 
So today I want to do with this, uh, it's coming up a cloud theme, but the pointed scripture is this, God at work. So I want to say this in a few minutes we have together. The different size of a cloud. First of all, I want you to switch over in your scriptures to the book of Job. Here's some clouds Job had to deal with. 35, Job, Job 35, verse 5. Listen to what it says. Look into the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. You hear what God says? Look at the clouds, they're higher than you. So that's our side. See, when you look at the clouds, there's our side, there's God's side, there's an inside, and there's the other side. And I want to try to deal with that just in a few minutes, okay? So first of all, I want you to think about the, the our side of it. Because when God is doing his work, when it thinks about the clouds, I want you to understand with me, and I know you already know this, but let's all be reminded of it. When God is at work, he usually does not reveal himself. He hides behind the clouds. Psalms 104 says the clouds are his chariots. So what God does is clouds. That's how he does his work. I mean clouds. So I want you to think about that, that he hides himself and God blesses us to do that. And, and so when we think about what's happening here to Nineveh, they had an opportunity to stay on God's side. But they decided that God was not in, that important. That was their side, okay? Now God says in Jeremiah, now if you, if you repent and you think you're going to do good and then you go back into your old ways, that I'm going to visit you again and I'm going to also repent of what I've, that good I was given to you. So it's important to know that repentance is not a one-time deal. I'm going to tell you this, that we need to understand that we need to repent, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And the gospel says that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And that we're going to deal with this righteous, holy God and we're not able to do it without Christ. So we want to understand that whatever God's doing, He's hiding Himself. In our ways, in our work, salvation, God hid Himself. I mean, all through the Christ and his prophecy from, from the uh, Garden of Eden when the serpent's head was to be bruised, what was God doing? He was going to show us that he's bringing us a Savior. I mean, right on through the, the, the disciples, they didn't know what was going on, but God prearranged all that. He ordained all that. So, so when you look at the cloud, I want you to see that it's way bigger than me. And so it's an opportunity for us to see God and, and bless him and say, you know what, God's doing his work. But I don't understand what he's doing, so, so he's hiding himself, but that's okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 27 said that all of our problems are at the feet of Jesus. Everything about our life is under Jesus' feet. That problem that you're dealing with, it's under Jesus' feet. Here we see that God is walking upon the dust. The clouds are his feet. The Bible says in, in, in another place that his, the earth is his footstool. How big is God? I mean, I don't know. I can't imagine, but I'm going to guarantee you when we look at the clouds, it gives us a glimpse. That ought to be our side, that God is so big. And he says, look at the clouds. They are higher than I. Second thing I want to say is, God's side of that, 
is that God's work is always perfect. We're talking about God at work. We see it from our side as, well, he's hiding. I don't understand what he's doing, but I'm going to guarantee he's work. He always works. But his work is perfect. His ways may be past finding out, but his work is perfect because he's just and right. That's the kind of God we serve. Deuteronomy 32.4. God always does right. But we got to realize when we look at the clouds, that it's God's side. Nebuchadnezzar realized that when he said, you know, I thought I was pretty big. Do I understand now everybody's like grasshoppers? I don't have anything. He thought he built everything, but he had nothing. See, it's God's side that's so important to us as we see this, you know. And the thing about the, the cloud being so big, so much bigger than us, if we're not careful, some of the little things that we have to face, because God is so big, we take for granted the little things in our life. But from God's side, he sees it as big things. That includes sin. <laughs> See, we think a little bit won't hurt. We think it really doesn't matter how I spend my Lord's day. I mean, we're not on no work system, so what, good is, well, what does it matter? We think, well, you know, a little bit won't hurt. That's the devil's greatest lie. You start fooling around with that theology, and you're going to end up yourself being the biggest mess you've ever been in your life. I just want you to see it from God's side. God says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then to the other side of that is, you know, uh, what we think is big is, from God's side, it's not very big. That situation that you don't think you can get out of, it's nothing to God. He can save to the uttermost, according to Hebrews 7, 25, them that come by him through Christ. God can do it. So these little problems we think, you know, we can't deal with, God is greater. It's about like uh, Emory and Jackson, when they come down the house, we go down to the pond to feed the fish. And the fish is in a, 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 a drum with a lid on it. And so we open it up and they have little cups. They throw fish food out in the water. But oftentimes they'll come and they'll say, Granted, I can't reach it. Would you reach it now with me and help me do it? I mean, to them, that's a big problem. To me, it's nothing. You see what I'm trying to tell you? I'm trying to say that problem you don't think you can deal with, that's nothing to God. Look at the clouds. <laughs> There's an interesting scripture in uh, Exodus 14. I'm going to read to you. But I want you to remember it if you can. It's so interesting doing the clouds. Talking about the sides. Uh, when Israel was going to uh, the Red Sea, they were released from their bondage where the Egyptians were after them. That did not surprise God. <laughs> don't, don't be surprised. You know, what you're going through in your life is no surprise to God. It's not. What he's doing is sending you a cloud. And what we ought to be able to do by his grace is look out every window. When you see a cloud, you say, God is about to bless me. Because when that cloud is dark, you know why it's dark? It's full of rain. 
And the earth needs rain to be refreshed and to grow. If you don't have rain, we won't have nothing. We won't have life. So you go to the cloud when you get gloomy and dismal and disappointed and you say, you know what? God is about to bless me. You need to thank God for every trial and problem you're facing. When God chastens you, he does that because he loves you. And he doesn't intend for you to like his chastening. He doesn't intend for you not to have a burden about life. The cross is about God dealing with sin, and that was a lot of pain for Jesus. God is not so concerned about our comfort as he is our holiness. I hope we get a gist from that here. So here he's bringing them, and he's leading them with a cloud. I'm in Exodus 14. And so it says in verse 19, And the angel of the Lord went before the camp of Israel and removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And look at verse 20. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. This cloud did. And it was a cloud of darkness to them. To the Egyptians, it was dark. But look at this. But it gave light by night to these. It was light to the Israelites, darkness to the Egyptians, so that the one came not near the other all by night. So when you think about what God is saying here, when he says, look at the clouds that are dust to my feet, what he's saying is this. Now, there's two situations. There's two categories of people. There's people that rebel against God, that hate God, that it doesn't acknowledge him at all. And those people where God's going to take his vengeance out. He has a right to do it. He's just in doing it. And we all would be in that category except for one thing, the cloud at Calvary. Because the other set of those people are those that have been um, dealt with not because of what they've done, but because of what Christ did on the cross. Because you see, from God being jealous and right and good, he cannot wink at sin. Sin is a big deal. It is a big deal. Don't you ever forget that. Salvation and forgiveness is not to be presumed upon. Repentance ought to cause us to cry from our heart, Oh God, thank you so much. I'm going to tell you every cloud of rain we see of this natural earth, we want to say, Oh God, thank you so much for your mercy. And we ought to apply that by his grace and help to our spiritual lives. Because we would have nothing but damnation. But because of Christ, we have been saved from his wrath. I want you to know that before you leave this room. God has given you grace. God has given you the blood of Christ to cover your sin. That appeases his wrath. That's what Christ did. And he's given you his righteousness. And that's, that means a lot. He sustains us. Those clouds are hard to understand how they hang up there. But God does it. And you know, thirdly, I just want to say, not only from uh, our side, but God's side, there's the inside. Every cloud has a silver lining. It does. Everything God's doing, we're talking about God's work, not only is God's work, when we talk about God's work with the clouds, we see God is hiding himself. Right is his work. 
Secondly, we see that God, you know, when we think about God's side of it, that he's perfect in all he does. But then thirdly, we understand the inside of it. He's always doing an inside job because God is concerned about our hearts. He's not so concerned about how much money we got in our 401k. What God is interested in is your heart, my heart. And so God uses clouds. You see, clouds, you can get inside a cloud. But God has a purpose in doing that in our lives, and we ought to bless that and thank him for it because it, it has a bright spot in it. It's heart. And you know what? Then there's the other side of a cloud. I just want to remind you that the other side of a cloud, the sun is always shining, always. You ever flew a, flew a jet right through the clouds? Bright blue. That's what it is. Every cloud that you have to deal with, you've got to know that God is there. He's right on the other side of it. And you know what? When he's doing his work, all things do work together for good to them to love the Lord. I want you to remember that and think about that. I know it's a common thing, but we don't think about it enough. Now, there's two sides. And since God is jealous and he's perfect and just, but he's also good, then here's the deal. I hope, I hope we can see this from what he says in there. And look here, I'm going to deal with sin because what jealousy is about, God says, I don't like the way you're spending, you're giving your time, your love, and your affection to others more than me. Now, God has a right to say that because everything we have is his. And so when we presume upon that, we've got to realize what's coming, okay? So what's going to happen with this just God that's not going to wink at sin? Either, either we're going to deal, he's going to deal with sin either with hell and eternal damnation or either the sins that we all commit are going to be justified by the blood of Christ. Christ is going to pay our sin debt or we're going to be separated from God eternal. So then who can stand about this God? This, this Bible says that. I'm going to tell you who. The elect family of God that he's chosen before the foundation of the world. Not because they're good or anything about him, but because he loved them and that's what God decided to do. And if he wants to send clouds in our life to show that, then God so be it. But what we've got to understand is that, that as God does that, we are justified fully by his grace. Psalms 10, no, Psalms 130, verse 3 says, if God marked iniquity, who could stand? It's a fact, just nobody. <laughs> but he doesn't mark iniquity to those that Christ died for. Now look here, I want you to be honest with God and yourself. Horatio Spafford was. You have a song to sing in your life. Is it well with your soul? If it is, you can be sure there's some clouds been in your life. Probably coming to church today or any other day, some clouds brought you here. You hear me? See, God uses clouds to direct our life. Problems, trials. Jesus ascended on a cloud. He's coming back on a cloud. <laughs> you know, my little preaching, I know I'm nothing but a redneck, rough 
Edge preacher. That's all right with me, because I'm going to tell you what, the cross is rugged too. That song is true, it's an old rugged cross, but I'm going to tell you what brought me to God's word. What called me by God's people to speak the first time in a church was a dying son. I was at a time in my life where I couldn't even go, I would go to church, my wife couldn't go, she was staying home with John Emery. I mean, every day, you didn't know if she was going to live or not. I went over to church over to Upper Black Creek. I didn't know where else to go. Do you? But somewhere in the midst of all that cloud, somebody said, well, Randy, would you come speak at the church? Can you imagine that? (laughs) I mean, that's what clouds do. Clouds bring you to God, and when you see that cloud, you can look and say, that's a blessing in that cloud. Consider the clouds. They're higher than they. Bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the short time you've given us together. We thank you for the clouds, for the manifold mercy, for the very chariots that bring us closer to you. Thank you for the rain upon Mother Earth. Thank you for the rain upon our natural souls that's changed the naturalness of our sinful attitude to bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We'll never know how you do it or why you do it, but oh God, you have certainly been at work. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord, for this congregation and every opportunity we have to let others know that you're doing your work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.